0: god that is who you are lord we are so even just i i i just honor this time lord i just even just like hearing who you are raptures my heart being you are a way maker you make impossibilities happen lord you make promises you light the places that seem so dark and impossible lord i just want that to be the heart of today's message lord I I just want that to be the place where even there's some hard words today, there's some easy words, there's fun places, but Lord, ultimately, our heartbeat has to be the place of who you are. Not who we are, but who you are. I raise all these things up to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. So, everybody, welcome to the party. I have had the blessings to jump into this uh, series as we Mm -hmm. talked tim blessed us with the message last week i wanted to just go ahead and start jumping right in the series that we are going through is defining what the gospel is not just we're trying to play with some ideas of the gospel and i i don't want to reiterate the simple gospel alone but I want to bring us to a place where we can know the gospel for ourselves. I think when we talk about even how Tim covered it last week, it was, it was good. I, was, I love hearing Tim preach. I think one of the things that we all agree when we look at the gospel, it's God saving people who can't save themselves. It is a group of people who, like, we have had the curse of sin placed on our flesh. And in that place, the only person who can pay the penance for that was God himself by sending his son to die on the cross so that we could enter back into, re- into relationship, to be the final sacrifice, the final sealing, so that we could re-enter into a place that could step us into holiness. Being saved back into family. Being Brought back into relationship. And it's not stipulated off us, but it's stipulated off the goodness of God. Now, we, I can go through all the topics in the world. We can go... There's so many topics that we'll be, we'll be going over even in this series. As there's still like seven more weeks of this series. Um, it's going to be centered around Romans. And you'll see me jump all around the scripture today. But ultimately the biggest place as i said is the gospel as we know it romans is a powerful place that leaves us with the foundational argument of what the gospel is it is a book that is not giving you a list of to-dos and to-don'ts and we sometimes treat it that way but it's ultimately one of the most beautiful defenses and depictions of us following Christ and specifically Paul following Christ to a group of people who probably wouldn't have known the first way not to be idol worshipers, which is not so different than Americans. But uh, on other news, um, I think we have to come back to the same place that Paul starts. And as we go through the series, in the middle of it, we're going to be going over Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. And I'll probably tickle a little bit of 9. But the thing is, is that we have to start at the same place that they start. Even of this depiction of the gospel, this, this grounding, this, this foundational place. It is Romans 5, 8. It says, but God clearly shows and proves his love his own love for us, by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, my favorite, even to specifically talk about my story a little bit, this verse literally transformed my walk with God. It was the first place that I could see that God actually chose me when I already believed that I had a stance against him. But the thing is, is that, like, we have to come to the point where I don't even... Like one of the, I even have this verse printed out at my house. I don't even know what version it was in, but the way that it states this verse is, is that God clearly showed his love for us by dying on the cross while we were still enemies to him. The reason why that's powerful to me is because we have to remember we start as enemies to God. It's not that he's an enemy to us, but it's that we're an enemy to him because we choose sin. And the reason why that's powerful, and I know I'm starting right out the gate, bam, is because we think we're better. We think we're gods ourselves. We worship idols. We do all these things. Woo! That's America. It's America. But anyways, um, it's a place where Romans 5.8 positions us to see even where the gospel starts. The gospel starts with love, In the middle, we get met with love, and at the end, we're embraced and fully seen just through love. But our identity is transformed in the process. We see that within the first place, we're saved into a place of hidden in Christ. And in that hidden in Christ, we start through his penance and the, the repentance and transformation of our hearts. And in that place, we recognize we're enemies of God, but we turn to him so that we can embrace him. And in that place, his blood says, I'm already embracing you. Then we enter into sanctification, which is an inward process that transforms us not only to what we've already been saved into, but then to look like the Christ who died for us to be saved. And in that process, we are transformed to represent a God, to be ones who walk in his glory. But then, at the end, we get to step into that embrace. We get to step into that walk where he fully frees us from our flesh, frees us from the curse, and blesses us into partaking in his glory. We're raised up to sit beside Christ in heavenly places. That is a now thing. That is a past thing, and it's a future thing. But as we, we look at that, there's a lot of ideas that we don't always look at where we start. We don't look like at what that means for me in the middle. And we definitely don't look at how we can see it in the future. One of the things I love, I just was at a men's retreat um, where I got to commune with a lot of men at a men's retreat. I hope most of the men that I was communing with was men. I'm just joking. Maybe that's a... Uh, I might have put my foot in my mouth. I was going to make a joke. It did not come out as well as I thought it was going to. Like most of my jokes. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, it, these kind of events really always remind me why I'm in it. I got to sit in a circle with men who, some of them are in biker clubs. Some of them are champions at addiction. They have already overcome addiction. Some of them, they're fresh out of addiction. Some of them are working class people who just don't have those struggles. But they love Jesus. The one unifying factor, no matter how much struggle or the place that they had, was everybody was there for the simple fact that Christ is king. In that place, I pray, even as we go through this, we remember through this message, through this gospel, through our walk, that we're serving a way maker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. That he's not here to make things invisible. He's not here to ignore the darkness, but he's here to illuminate and set people free. Because he transforms the atmospheres we come from. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Took that one from Timmy. But anyways... We have to see that, like, even from the, what was it that the people continued to bank on? What promises did they find themselves in? They found themselves quoting promises and fulfillments and strengthenings from God. Jesus talked about the God of Abraham. He talked about Jacob and Isaac and David we look at Paul, he constantly quoted those promises that the Jewish people had built their whole paradigms off of. When we look at a verse like Matthew 22, 31 through 32. Once again, that's Matthew 22, 31 through 32. It says, But as to the resurrection of the dead, have you not read in the scripture what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham. Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. There is a promise, even in a verse like this, when we start talking about the gospel. Today's sermon, which I did not hit you with yet, with the title, on purpose, is because it's not just the gospel, it's our gospel. But much like a scripture like this, Sometimes we forget that we're interacting with a living God. One who is here today. One who is not forgotten. One who is not gone to sleep. One who is actively interacting, making ways, lighting the darkness, transforming, building, strengthening. We're living in a world that is still under the supremacy of our God. So we forget that and we, we sometimes don't realize that we're still living off of some of these verses like this, though. And what I mean by that is not to say that's bad, but when the people of the New Testament, when we look at Paul, we look at Peter, we look at Jesus, did they quote those promises? Did they live by them? Absolutely. Their paradigm was built off of the faithfulness of God. It was built off the goodness of God. It was built off the will of God, which I pray to God that like, just my heart would continue to seek after his will. But that's not where it ended. That's where it began. It began with the fulfillment, the champions, the promises, the places he's rescued. Then it became, they personally were walking a walk out with God. See, the thing is, is we don't realize that we're actually interacting with the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, in the same ways that they were. The only difference is, that we're also quoting people who are promised and he's been victorious and he's made himself alive in the Bible. The Bible is an amazing tool and empowerment that perfectly represents God. It perfectly hones in salvation. It perfectly brings us to a representation and relationship with God. But if you don't personalize it, all it is is a textbook on your shelf that teaches you the gospel but does not bring you into an experience of it. And as we can see in scriptures, being taught the gospel does not mean that you experience it. it means that you might be saved to a truth but you're not saved to the truth because you have not been experienced and you which means that you don't build a foundation off the belief that Christ is king. But let me keep going because I'm not going to go into Judas today. Um But we can fall into a Judas heart really quick to experience something and trust our own strengths and our own wisdom in a place where we're taught what's right. We can even see what's right. But at the end of the day, all we can see is a good thing, not a God thing. But at the end of that, I'm talking about our strength. I'm talking about our placement. It's like, have you thought that there's more? Have you ever thought that there could be more God? That is right now the amount of Christ you're walking with as much as it gets. Are you satisfied with the amount you are at? I have to ask myself this question constantly because I think of eternity. An eternity of glory. It says that we will get to experience that glory forever. And if this is all it is, it might be cool for maybe a hundred years, maybe even like 50 years. But after that, how glorious will it be at that point? I know that sounds blasphemous. But the thing is, is, what for me, what that speaks is my personal expectation of how large God is is too small to exemplify how great and how good He is. His glory reigns forever. His glory is above all. It's bef- It's above reasoning. It's above even the small ways that I try to comprehend it. So if I'm being challenged to look more like him in the present tense, that means that I'm being brought into a further understanding of how great he is. And if that is what's going to happen to me, even for an eternity is to align to that grace, to that, to that glory, to be able to witness it and to be able to participate and to be hidden in it. Well, that's going to be amazing because what I do challenge us to think that there is more. That thought doesn't come from a place that you're wrong. That thought isn't coming from a place that you should shame yourself for wanting more. That more is sanctification calling for us to look like our king. That more is calling for us to say that we're still being saved to the more. That this present tense glory is bringing us to experience a present tense king who is still just as real, just as glorious, and no matter how old or how long you've walked with him, he still has some new tricks up his sleeve to teach you about him. See, we have to see that we are a tapestry of his manifestation. See, what I mean by that is, I love old, old paintings. Specifically where they do the dot painting. And it's like where like a flower field and the image in the background where you're too close, you can't actually see the image. I feel like that's so much of how life is. When I first saw one of these paintings, I remember how confused I was. How confused that so many little dots can make something so beautiful. How could somebody have such an understanding and such a plan that they can make dots that singularly have a purpose, but also together have a purpose it blew me away and confused me that i could step so close and lose all the image but as i stepped away i lost the image of the single dot and only could see the beautiful image that was being created see us as his created as his people his saved we are a manifestation of his tapestry and see each of us are single dots that were finally crafted to announce his glory But us together represent his heart. We represent him. But we also encounter a big God. We each may have the same God who saves. We may have the same God who sacrificed himself. Because there is one God who is under one faith, with one spirit, one baptism. But for us, we experience him different. When I think about me and Tim, because Tim is the glorious one in the room. If Angie was here, I would have actually said his better half, Angie. But you know how it goes. But, anyways, Tim, ha ha ha. Like, when we talk about just the way that we, we have similarities in the way we see God, but then the ways that those intimacies find themselves rooted, the ways that we know and trust God, the places of that experience, that testimony, that strength that we draw from him is dramatically different. Because we come from two different lives. We come from two different important places. Neither one of our stories is any less valuable. Any struggle, any less hard. Any victory, any less worth celebrating. But the thing is, the testimony of the God who met it is the same God who expressed himself different to bring us both to the same Christ. So, When we start looking at that tapestry, there's beautiful announcements of a single dot. That when you look at that dot, it has purpose. It has placement. It testifies of what the whole painting is in mastery. But when you draw back and we can start intaking all of what we've encountered, not just as an individual, but me and Tim together we start seeing a much bigger God who is so much greater than either one of us understands. So, when we look at these promises that they took, and what we've been taught from the Bible, which is always true, it's this is foundational, this is the place that is everything we need to build our, our faith, our strength, our knowledge of God. When we look at it, we see a testimony of a God, a God who is good a God who's faithful, and a God who is strong. But when we look at some of the the names and titles that he had, things that He he fulfilled, because what I love about the way that God speaks his name is it's not like he's speaking a name that just doesn't mean anything. It's not like Bob. Or, I apologize if there's any Bobs out there. I'm not saying you're worthless. But I'm saying, like, a random name. Like, it's not like I named... I named my guitar Lucille. You know what I mean? Like, that's because I love B.B. King. God's not so limited that his name is limited to an object that reminds us of something. But rather, his name is a promise. He gives purpose to every single name that he gave his people. And every purpose that he gave to his people continued to testify. Testify of who he was to them. So let's just take a quick glance at some of these. I'm not going to go into all of these. I have plenty of Bible verses to go with them. But as I said, I personally am not going to do that. Mainly because that is hopefully you can get in your word. Um, Just to even say is church is a place that I want to be for us, for both the new believer and the old believer. I want the new believer to be able to be reached out, grabbed a hold of, because my ultimate heart is is that I want to be saving people. I want to be discipling people. But remembering that also we need to be honed in character. We need to be brought to a place to see God more clearly. But I also don't want to be a, a person who's codependent in that place where we all should be searching the word. We should all be drinking. We should all be eating. So I pray that even as we go through this, if you have questions, look through your word. If you have questions for me, I'll give you verses too. But we're in it together to be in a journey to glorify God. It's not one or two men or three people or 12 people. It's everybody who's a part of this body is an exemplification of of God's tapestry. We are all His manifestation because He is encountered us. So now we get to encounter others. So his names. God is spirit. God is light. God is love. God is consuming fire. Creator. Glorified. Sovereign. Righteous. Holy. Savior. Truth. Deliverer. Grace, mercy, and he's generous. The consoler, the counselor, the leader, the protection, the strength, the teacher, the just, all knowing, all wise, omnipresent, omnipotent. I can probably come up with a lot more. There's 900. So, I mean, I'm not trying to make it just quoting a bunch of names. But I want us to be able to see, even within this list, I'm trying to list off a bunch of things that mean a lot to me. God is light. He's light to the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Love. I mean, love is one of the most powerful things to impact us. It raptures us. I'm learning more about love as I grow every day through my kids growing up, through God impacting me, transforming me. I think God's consuming fire is one that seems like an idea we're all taught about. Oh, yeah, I know about that. But the thing is, is that, like, how much of us get the, pre- even the, the, the burning bush, the fire at the temple, the Jesus in the fire when he's, he's uh, brought to the place of his death. When we look at all these presences of a consuming fire who, who, who presents himself, that is a powerful thing when we can see that in our own lives. We creator... It doesn't take very much to look around and see God's creation. Every time I see a mirror, I see his creation and his glory. Joking. But anyway, so he's sovereign. He's over everything. He's righteous. He's holy. As I said, these are things that I think it's really easy for us to go and be like, I know these things. But how many of us have been experienced them? See what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians two, nine through ten. First Corinthians two, nine through ten, it says, But just as just as it is written in Scripture, things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of a man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, who hold him in affectionate reverence, who obey him, who gratefully recognize the benefits that he has bestowed. For God has unveiled them and revealed them to us through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things diligently, even sounding and measuring the profound depths of God. The divine counsels, the things are beyond human understanding. As we are walking out these names, they have deeper meaning than we can understand. They come past what we can hear and what we can see. So, where is the place that we can interact with them? We interact through the place where we participate with God in our reverence. We love Him. We seek it out. We participate with the Holy Spirit. It brings forth an experience. When we see these names touch down, these promises, this experience of God, this place where the Holy Spirit starts illuminating, where He starts testifying to the depths of the character of God, it touched down and it Touches us, all of a sudden it enters into the room in the middle of our story and grabs a hold of us. That's our story. That's our gospel. That's our placement. Is when God touches down and his spirit is illuminated and his glory falls. And we actually can say, that's what righteousness looks like. That's what it looks like to be saved. That's what it looks like to see the depths of God. It's not an idea on a page. But it's actually, this is this specific fact represents that. So when we talk about my gospel, I can go through all sorts of stories and tell you all sorts of things. But as I said, you guys have heard my gospel, I mean, my, my testimony many times, but my gospel is, it comes down to a few statements. It's that first, if God can save me, a person who has been against him, a person who didn't want him, a person who didn't want to be loved, a person who didn't want to forgive himself, a person who didn't even know who he was, and teach that person family, then there is no person that's outside the bounds of that. That is a place he saved me into. The second part of that is is that the only way for me to experience that is for me not to be hard-hearted, but receive his love. See, The reason why this gospel, there's two sentences. The the third one I want to say before I jump into any of that is is that the third part of the gospel is is that God is more powerful than I could ever dream, which means the truth is is He doesn't need me, but He saves me to a place that I do need Him. See, we get it flipped over. I'm going to go backwards with that. The reason why that's a gospel to me is because I've lived off a place that has been strong. Off what I could do, what I was capable of. But what I didn't know was my own strength and my own ability to do something limited how much I was willing to receive from anyone. So when I put up this pretense of like, God, I'm here to serve you. I forgot that this is a sovereign God. This is an almighty God. This is a good God. So if I was an enemy, how do I know anything that could serve him? How do I know anything about him? In that place, he went to teach me. He grabbed hold of me. I didn't do anything for that. So in that place, yes, there is things that he does to use me. But ultimately, even in me being used, teaches me more and more about the sweetness and goodness of God. It teaches me more about his faithfulness. It teaches me more about why not the other person needs him, but actually more why I personally need him. Because at the end of the day, every work that is done by a person in ministry is not only saving the person that they are touching, but it's also saving them. The second part of our gospel, my gospel specifically, as I said, about my heart, you cannot, I thought that I could be this strong guy who could not be hurt. Part of the reason why you hear me talk so much about emotions and so much about processing and help people process and get through things is because I realized the biggest boundary between us and God is not some other individual, but what is actually happening on the inside of us. I believe we are our own more sin And us holding on to things and us making up these false realities that really build us to be somebody else is our biggest enemy. And the way that I did that was because I thought that I didn't ever have to hurt again. I can make myself strong. I didn't have to fear. I didn't have to participate with any of these things. But what he did was he actually said, no, son, no, son, stop hurting yourself, son. I love you too much for you to do that. I see you. I see you. You don't got to pretend no more. And it, it melted away this heart that was hard to quit playing pretend. And in that place, what I realized is as I participated with that gospel, I only way for me to participate with the love that he was pouring out was for me actually to let my heart guard down the things that protected me because ultimately I couldn't see how good he was as long as I was trying to protect me from everything else because I would sooner or later be protecting myself from God and then the third and final gospel as I said which was actually the first one I hit on was this place where even as an enemy to God this place where I had presented this stance that ultimately Whether I could outwardly say it, I would not outwardly say that I was like, I hate you, God. I would never say that. I actually didn't know him. So it's like there's a real place that I was like, that takes too much emotional attachment to really say I hate you because I really didn't have any feelings. But I definitely hated me. And I hated if something created me, then I was not too happy with that either. And if that thing could leave me as hurt, then I personally would do everything I could to be pretty bad. And so, as I made all these decisions that dishonored and really just judged and tried to destroy myself and hurt myself, those decisions really were against God first. And if sin is against God first, what does that make me? Somebody attacking God. So that enemy stance that then judges itself, which was what I was doing, I thought that I wasn't worth anything, I didn't deserve forgiveness, I didn't deserve any of these things, God showed me different. He set me free from that identity by loving me, by pouring mercy out on me, by teaching me that I was forgiven in a place where somebody died to show me that love. That he wanted to take that strength and wrap me up and believe more about me. That I wasn't stuck in a prison living that same old life. I wasn't stuck in the curse that my family had chosen for me and that I personally had chosen for me. But actually I was set free. And not only was I set free, but I became a son at that point. I was adopted. I had a family. I had a home. And all those things were hard. But a it really challenges at the end of the day to say, if I and all of my judgment and all my failures could be saved, then who else could not be saved? All right. So that's my gospel. I want you to think about that. Lock it in your mind palace. Sherlock Holmes it. I want you to. But let's look at Peter real quick. How many of you guys know Peter's story? I hope you do. But Peter, chapter 5, Luke, chapter 5, not Peter, chapter 5, Luke, chapter 5. We see that in that story, Peter had been fishing all night. And as he was a fisherman, right, what did he identify himself as before he followed Christ? It was that he was a fisherman. He spent all night in his own strength. And what happened? He didn't catch Not one fish. As he's giving up and he's signing off, Jesus shows up on the show. Shows up. Boom! There it is. Interacts with his life and tells him to do something that is within his identity, is within the ways he would understand, but on the opposite end of what he would do to turn it upside down says, cast the net on the opposite side. Do it in this specific way. And what did Simon say? Peter. He goes, Master, we worked hard all night to the point of exhaustion and caught nothing in our nets. But at your word, I will do as you say and lower the nets again. It's interesting that at that point, the fish came. I think when we look at a gospel for Peter, it's really clear to see that there was a, a point right at this moment, everything changes for Peter. He was a fisherman. He knew everything about fishing, and he failed that night. But by one moment of a man who he didn't know really, he knew of him, tells him to do something that's counterintuitive against his 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 own might, against his own exhaustion. He was at the end of himself, and then he had more fish than he could handle. So, in other words, in his identity, he was met by God, but challenged with something different. And is that where it ended? No. Then Jesus says, hey, Brother, you're going to be a fisherman of men. You ain't going to just be no fisherman no more. Come follow me. And Peter did. What's funny is, the only time that we see anywhere else that it talks about him going back to fishing or him identifying himself as a fisherman is where? It's actually when he's in rebellion to God. When he's denied Christ, he goes back to fishing. So what does this all signify? is a place where I look a lot at, like, uh, I, always, I'm, I always mix it up with Elijah and Elijah, but he broke down the oxen cart so he could never go back. When we look at Peter, at that moment, he left. He left that, as soon as his identity was challenged, and there was a place that he recognized was God was there and he was saving, he reidentified himself and walked in a new way, following Identified no longer off the old, but identified off of who he's been impacted by. So we look at that and he's gained all. His gospel then is that God would do a new thing with him. That there was a place that even he was being saved from his standard, his strength, his ability, so that God's glory could be found. That his strength wasn't enough but God's was. When we look at Paul, we jump down to Paul. We look at Paul, and we see Paul is a Jew of Jews, right? It says in uh, Philippians 3, I believe, 3, 4 through 8, it says, though I myself might have some grounds for confidence in the flesh, if I were pursuing salvation by works, if anyone else thinks that He has reason to be confident in the flesh, that is, in his own efforts to achieve salvation. I have far more, circumcised, when I was eight days old, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, an exemplary Hebrew, as to one who observes the law, a Pharisee, as to my zeal for Jewish tradition, a persecutor of the church, and as righteous, supposed right living, which my fellow Jews believed. Is in the law, I proved myself blameless. But whatever former things were gains to me, as I thought then, these were things once regarded as advanced in merit. I have some, I've come to consider a loss absolutely worthless for the sake of Christ and the purpose which he has given my life. But more than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled, for his sake I have lost everything, and I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ. We see, he, did he love God? I would argue that Paul loved God. Did he think he was doing the right thing? He did think he was doing the right thing. Did he follow the law to the best of his strengths? yes. I mean, we look at this, and it's like, by all standards, he was a smart guy, he was able, he did all these things. But what he's saying, and we see through, did that ever reveal the Christ that was before him? Did that ever reveal the gospel that was saving him? No, his gospel was the moment that he was struck blind off of that, and the scales were on his eyes. Then they were removed, and, but before that, he witnessed Christ. And in that moment, he was so humbled because what he recognized was as much good as he could do, it was never the thing that, and as much as he could learn, it was never the thing that revealed God to him. It was actually God in his own strength who chose to reveal himself that saved him. In other words, his own will, his own strength, and his own ability never actually saved him, but it was God who chose him chose to show in his goodness, chose to impact him, that transformed Paul. That even as much information and strength as he had, much zeal, that it was actually more important to know about grace and love. So, we look back at your gospel again. Where is it that you, each individual watching, each of my friends and family, where is it that God touched down in your story? Not just where does your story m- meet the Bible. I think that that's a really good question in itself, but it's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, where can you state that God has reached out, grabbed a hold of you, saved you, and he is calling you something new? If you can't answer that, totally reach out to me. We can talk. But if you can, let that be something that found you. Let that be something that grounds you. Let that become your gospel. That's the testimony that directly ties you to you've interacted with good news. Because there is more. That more of him touching down and being real and alive and a God who actually resurrected that did not stay dead in the ground, but who actually went up and was ascended. One who could change people, who can meet us in our actual identities that we as earthly people take such strong rooted in. And he meets us in the middle of it and says, I actually do it better than you do. And not only can I do it better, trust me. And as soon as we trust him a little, he leads us actually who he wanted us to be, which actually reflects him. That gospel is one that touches you and then is called to do something else. When we look at Romans 9, 1 through 3, it says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself be accursed and cut off from the Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I'm not going to get deep into this like crazy. I can. But there is such a place that the word at the beginning of this, the Greek word, is not just um, that I'm telling the truth that I know. It says this is the truth I experienced. I know this because I've walked this. And it's a testimony unto God. Not only is the word kinsman not just talking about his personal people, but the people that are like him. The people come from that same lineage. So when we look at that, there's a place that the gospel touches down. It impacts him. He has this testimony of what it is to be impacted by God. He knows that he was saved and he was a chief sinner. That he as much as he thought he was great, was the one who was ready to kill Jesus. Just like we are ready to kill Jesus at times. I apologize for the sensibilities of some people if that offended you. But the truth is, is that our actions say we're ready sometimes to just put aside Jesus for some of our choices. And as he touches down and says, I actually want to save you. You're actually part of my family. I actually love you. I believe in you. I'm for you. There's more. There's more than you could believe. I'm a real God who's painting a real world. I actually don't want to save 1% of it. I want to save all of it. That kind of God has to be able to transverse any social group, any culture, any placement, and be good enough to be able to change any of our hearts. Do you believe yet that that's what is impacting you? Well, the thing is, there's more. There's more coming for you. There's such a good God that he can come over any of your walls. He can come over any of the places that cripple you. He can come over anything that would say you aren't good enough. You're not able. He doesn't leave you alone. The thing is, is that our judgment leaves us alone. Our isolation leaves us alone. But God does not leave us alone. So as he comes on the scene, the gospel that impacts us is not just any words from the scripture it's actually a living god coming down to say i save you and that god takes form he takes identity and when we see people who need that same god that god who's impacting us that god who's saving us that god who's seeing us we know what the heartbreak that's happening in here we know what it is to feel just a little down to not feel like we fit in or like I'm just working hard and it's not getting me anywhere. We know the disappointment. We know the fear. We know the hope and other things. We know the wishes. And we know that the real heart is really crying out for some, just even a a taste of that God. And the verse cries out to us who have actually been impacted, us who have been touched by that God, those of us who do have a gospel. Those of us who are founded by a God who actually saves. It's asking us, Are we what, what are we willing to do for those people to experience that gospel that's so true to us? What are you willing to do? Because the truth is, is that are we going to be like Christ and even bring ourselves to the place of our flesh feeling like it's separated? Where there's struggle, where there's pain, So somebody can even for a moment experience the God that you've encountered. That gospel of truth to impact you, to transform you. Are you willing to give somebody else that opportunity for transformation? Are you willing to get out your box? Are you willing to allow the glory of God to manifest itself, even if you're not the one benefiting? See, our gospel is powerful. It is a place that even as I said in my last sermon, is what the world is waiting for, people who submitted to it. But the reason why the gospel is even more powerful is when you read Romans 8.18, it says, For I consider from my standpoint, the standpoint of faith, that the sufferings of the present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. See, our gospel is us being saved and a family. Our gospel is, is us being transformed to the reflection of Christ. Our gospel is us being challenged in our current state to believe more, to stake faith in more, and to trust Christ and God more based off of the ways that he's expressing himself. See, he's giving, our gospel is us participating with the opportunity of participating with the God who is present right now in this moment the one who's living and saving see our gospel is to be experienced by others and it's hard and it costs but it's cost is nothing compared to the value worth and glory of god that has been revealed to us see that glory we can sometimes look at the struggle we look at the pain We look at this fear. We look at what we've lost. And we go, I don't know if I can handle another thing. But the truth is, is that none of that matters even as we experience more of that living God. He continues to open those boxes, show us more, heal us more, help us walk more, set us more free. But it takes us risking. But the beautifulness is there's more. There's more than this present state. There is more than you currently believe. There's more. God is presenting more. And as he presents more, its worth and its value is so much more than you can believe. It's not just what has been revealed to us, but the beauty of it is revealed. And it's not just what's going to be revealed to others. But the most beautiful thing that we get to participate with as we're on this process, as we get to see that glory touch down and touch us, the tapestry manifest itself both through others and through ourselves, is that the testimony of a good, good God has impacted you. He's impacted me. He lives in us, that He's making Himself known not from the outside in, not separate from us, but through a relationship from the inside out. This God is not one who's just saying you need to fix yourself to be better, but He's inside crying out while you question is there more? And He's saying there is. And He's going to show you. Let me close this down in prayer. Lord Jesus, I say thank You. Thank You that You say there is more. That you are a God who saves. That you are a God who continues to work. That you are a God who's preparing family. That God, there is a people group waiting for us. That we ourselves are called to experience more, Lord. That this word has been given to us to experience more. This word has been given to us to illuminate more of your character. Lord, I pray that we could cry out with that most humble prayer lord is there more where's the more because lord you're waiting on the inside and you're waiting all around us to envelop us and show us every single thing about yourself lord humble all of us to accept your love because your salvation your strength and your presence is able to do all I know my brothers and sisters believe that, Lord. But I know that all of us also have places that we haven't experienced that yet. And I pray for all of us too. For all of us who need that healing, Lord, I just pray right now. Reach out my hand. I pray for all of us to reach out our hands and even the Spirit to touch those who are in need. To know that there's something inside of us calling to touch them. Jesus didn't wait. So, Lord, I just pray that you would awaken that in all of us. That there is a God waiting to manifest, Lord. Let us know who you are to us. Because ultimately, Lord, we can't tell the gospel to another person without it being real to us first. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.